real quick before we get started on this one. Uh, both of these recordings are a little off. Uh, I was trying some new recording equipment and my trial stuff worked fine, but when I did the actual recording, which ended up being really long, uh, I didn't have time to re-record it, so it's a little muffled. Um, it's our nor not our normal quality, and then Flocky was busy as well, uh, which he'll explain in his recording. Just wanted to give everybody a quick heads up, and thanks a lot. Fergus makes a show to future, giving a deep bow and everything. Future gives you that smile again, where it's only in the eyes and, and not the face. Just says, please don't feel the necessity to stand on false ceremony for my benefit. No one here does. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter. And let you go back on your way. So, you, you make a beeline to brew, and you come back to find your son gone and Rue in the exact same place that he was in. And you see a letter pinned to Rue's chest. And when I say pinned to his chest, I mean literally into his chest. Blood is pouring out and Rude just seems frozen in place, not moving. Um, you don't get any... You get a sense that their mind is awake, his mind is awake, but uh, it's uh, inoperable except for very specific parts. Uh, you're not well-versed enough to to really know exactly what's going on, like which, which parts are active and which parts aren't. You just get a kind of a general overall sense. But you go up and you, you, know, you kind of look them over and, you know, no, no eye movement, no anything. And you pull the note out and a spurt of blood follows afterwards. And at this, they, oh, they kind of slump and they're, they're breathing heavy. And they start rubbing their chest. He starts rubbing his chest. And you see 
tears start to, to flood out of their eyes. And Brew just kind of sits down on the ground and wraps their arms around their knees and puts their head down as far as they can. You know, they've got this overly large well head. And the note just says, always leaving others behind. That's it. And I guess you, you go to look after Rue. And I won't go into the full verbal explanation, but pretty much what happened was after you left, your son pretty much put him on a, a mental lock of only being able to feel pain but every single moment was was dragged out incredibly long like you were gone probably five maybe ten minutes by your recollection and for Rue it was being unable to move and slowly feeling this it, it looks kind of like a, a nail almost being pushed into his chest ever so slowly and then being left there was just agony for who knows how long. Lost track of time. But a part of their, their brain, part of something that happened, and this is all something that your son... Uh, did to did to them like took it uh, commandeered their mind almost um, to a ver almost to a version of what you can do uh, re refused to let them go mad um, so yeah you okay everybody I, I had flocky do a do a couple of roles and uh, some of which flock I will tell you what the results are, and some of them I have to leave a mystery. The first roll was an 11, um, which you don't know what it is. Uh, the next roll was a 15, which was to kind of sense other psychics, and um, I was just kind of grouping that together as well with uh, how you talk to Rue. This is kind of a general search kind of recruitment type or not recruitment but just the general search role and everything but you whisk rue away quickly and i'm sure give him some apologies and you know rue tried to run away but you just zoomed off and left him you know you were his uh, strength to even go that close to that general's area. Uh, and yeah, he, you know, predatorily stalked him, you know, animalistic-wise, not uh, creepy human predator-wise. You know what I mean. Uh, 
and yeah, just stuck him in this thing. And before it happened, you know, told Rue that this was on on you, on Fergus. So Rue slowly collects himself and you, you know, he gets a drink, he kind of navigates you back to, to his place and it's this aquatic environment. It's a, you know, the equivalent of a, a flat underwater, uh, very uh, naturalistic in a lot of ways, um, but with spaces of, of air and whatnot, but not that you really need these. And uh, this entire time you've been kind of searching for, for psychics and putting out this, this uh, invitation uh, out into the, the ether almost. And you've probably run across about half a dozen, eight besides Rue, uh, some of them you just get kind of vague psychic uh, impressions. You've, you've kind of gotten these feelings before, and they're usually some type of empaths, uh, you know, low-level psychics that just kind of pick up on uh, emotions or some kind of very base psychic wave. And then you... you like one or two of them is a pretty high level, like decent uh, psychics. And uh, actually, I, I, I completely whiffed on what the s sequence of the roles were. The first role uh, was the one I can't tell you about. The second role was you trying to remember about your kid all the facts and everything and then the third role was this recruitment role which flocky actually needed to spend a hero point because uh, it was a botch it was bad and he got an eight even afterwards and i'll get to the the facts about your kid after this but you know uh, rue picks up on on what you're doing gets the gets the psychic chaff as it was and says, there is a meeting place that many of the psychics go to. Each plane, each dimension has their own psychic... Oh, it doesn't say, ah, uh, says, uh, has their own plane of psychic awareness. And he holds out his hand and says, please follow my example. And their voice, his voice is pretty, pretty shaky still and everything, but, uh, you know, you get the impression that said he was throwing his lot in with you, so uh, seems to be keeping with it. So you, you kind of focus on the, the flux of, of his energy and, and follow suit. And you're kind of 
rushed through. Uh, you know you're not moving, but you get the sensation of movement. And then, you know, quick as you can change your thoughts, you are on kind of an open field. It's got kind of a reddish, pinkish, pinkish hue to it. And you look down at yourself and you're kind of flesh and blood again. You, you know, you, you know, you know that you're not. This is um, like a, another psychic projection, kind of like your, your uh, psychic field is. But this seems kind of more psyche driven, like um, your, 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 your physical self in your, in your puppeteer costume but it's like idealized, like your clothing is as smooth as you ever wanted it to be and, and very precise and, you know, all the, all the flaws that you never imagined your physical form having are gone and, um, you know, you're, you're your ideal self how you always pictured yourself. Um, you kind of even get the snapshot from third person before you snap back in. And there's all these individuals here, and uh, you can elaborate on this this speech if you want to, but I'll just give you the the rundown. It depends on you if you want to RP it or not. There's about a half dozen psychics here, some of which you, you, you get a similar uh, impression on of those that you've already touched, and some of them uh, that... that you've never encountered before. You, you know, you start asking these individuals these questions. Uh, I, I guess you probably start to uh, try to get to know some of them. And there's, um, there's two of them that look pretty human. Uh, one of them's got like overly large uh, limbs and, and uh, eyes as well. You see that odd um, brain tentacle type creature um, that you had accosted before when you first entered the city. You know, just if if the other ones become important, one of them kind of looks like a cross between a. a like a wolf and a, and a large cat. Like it's this odd juxtaposition or what we would consider odd of uh, lupine and feline features mashed together and it is quadrupedal. But you're trying to slowly warm up to it and as soon as you breach the subject of the general, you even, you're trying to get the his name and you just automatically get the sense of guarded, um, closed up feelings from uh, each of these individuals except for one. And most people are like, no, nope, won't even, don't, don't bring him up. He, he's visit, he visits here occasionally. You know, he's, he's never done any of his harm, but we know that he could. And it, all except for the the lupine feline uh, character, and he kind of stalks up to you. 
you know, this smooth kind of loping gesture. It starts to circle around you and it... <sighs> the general is a great man. He has led us to many victories. He is future's favorite. To go against him would be folly. <sighs> Yes. Ah. Everyone here knows that. Next to future, he is the most powerful individual. Yes. I can smell him on you. You are. His progenitor. No, what you ask is folly. None here will stand against him. He's too great. He's too magnificent. For his name, ha, that is lost to time. Future itself only knows. We've heard Horatio Cuthbert. Gawain, numerous names, whatever suits his whim. You stand upon loose ground. You are nothing next to him. And I'll leave that scene kind of hanging for you to pick up wherever you want. Um, but this is kind of your, your build role, like... You don't convince any of these individuals to, to stand against him, and this, this lupine wolf is kind of explaining why. And what you remember, you know, you rack your brain, and you get a good chunk. Uh, there may be some fine details that you're missing, but you know from previous encounter, from your previous encounter, that you and Powder Girl took your DNA, created him in the lab, he's a test tube baby, stripped him of all meta potential, uh, but uh, by the time that he came around, he was the only non-meta in the entire world. Uh, so he was this weird, lone individual, but he had a prodigious intellect, and after this, like, you barely had any contact with him. And this is mostly the story that he told you, is, is from what you know of this. So, um, as a stint of revenge, he created this suit that uh, any meta within a certain distance, he could copy their ability. And it was retained in the suit, so he pretty much has an entire, from your perspective, future uh, world of meta potential in this suit. You also gather that he probably has some type of mental safeguards, uh, some type of training, some, either that or he's just fucking banana cakes or super disciplined. 
uh, which you've met before, like you've met individuals that don't necessarily have psychic powers or, or meta powers, but are, uh, you know, strong willed enough to kind of help deter or fight off psychic assaults. And, you know, there's all these individuals here and you don't, I mean, you don't know if what future is, like if they're a meta uh, doubtful being as powerful as they are. With apologies to our listeners, I uh, I will be washing a few dishes as I compose this response. That's right, y'all. We're real dudes. We got problems. We're not just like, you know, super successful creative types hanging out with cool people all the time. Sometimes I only hang out with myself and I suck. I mean, I'm pretty boring fucking hanging out washing dishes, you know? Give me a break. Anyway. So, uh, first and an immediate order of business type thing. So, when Fergus enters this psychic environment and meets these other empaths, telepaths, whatever, when the, when the, you know, lupus felis person, the cat wolf, talks shit to him like that, um, at first, you know, when he starts doing the, like, I'm stalking around you, I'm scary, I'm a predator thing, Fergus gives off what he remembers as very, uh, unimpressed physiological signals. He, like, picks his nose. He just sort of slumps. His, you know, imaginary body is just sort of, like, flopping around as if it were totally at ease. And then when he's, you know, when the creature is like, oh, no one here will follow you. What you do is folly, blah, blah, blah. Fergus abruptly pours a lot of mental energy into seizing control of this person, or at least their projection in this psychic space. And he gives, he gives one command, which is, do what you would do in your body if you were deeply ashamed. Perform shame in front of all these people. So if that works, then he just sort of looks at the creature quizzically. You know, he puts on an act of being like, oh, hey, what, what's going on here? What are you doing? Just going to apologize to the others for any embarrassment or inconvenience he may have caused. And tell them that, of course, he wants them to be safe and he wouldn't want them to alienate or make any enemies of any powerful people. And then he'll leave that space. Um, if for some reason that doesn't work, if this character is more important than I thought, then Fergus is like, 
you know, let's let's take this let's take this to the physical. Let's let's make this physical. See what happens. You know, but he'll say it in a sort of petulant way. It's probably his first time trying to get into a physical fight with someone on purpose. And, you know, then he'll just, like, not show up. Like, fuck you. I don't give a fuck about you. He, uh... He's having a hard time accepting that anybody would have a genuine response to... We'll call him Horatio now. Other than, like, disgust and repulsion. So if this creature is... Is like that... Is, is, you know... Is enough like Horatio that it shares his nature, you know, that it admires him, whatever, then Fergus just wants absolutely nothing to do with it. Because it seems like the more he tries to confront or shake off his son, the more he sticks to him. He's, he's in a... He's, he's remembering a children's theater production of Br'er Rabbit, which he was not in because it was too scary for him at age nine, but which he saw and thought about obsessively for like two months. Whatever happens with Katmandu over there, Fergus is going to retreat from that unsuccessful recruiting drive. He's going to start spending a lot of time with Rue, trying to learn everything he can about telepathy in general, his own telepathy, the differences between the minds of, like, his human race from his world, and, like, Rue's cetacean race, and, you know, the, like, cat man's race, and all of that, cat dog, kitty pup, I don't know. He's, he's... You know, telepathy is obviously new to him, and he's gonna feel his way through learning as much about it as possible. I mean, obviously Future is in no rush to give him a decision one way or another, so he's gonna concentrate for now on making his alliance with Rue solid, on increasing his own capabilities and his other long-term project which he disguises as wandering around Future's realm talking to himself gesturing wildly and making these very public displays of emotion what he's actually doing that whole time in addition to eavesdropping on people is going around testing people, places, and things for resistance to his puppetry. Particularly things. He's thinking a lot about objects because his so-called son apparently has a super powerful object that lets him do all the annoying, terrible stuff that he does. So Fergus is going around testing doors and windows of buildings 
When he can wander inside a building, he'll go in there and check the objects in there. If there are loose objects on the ground in the dystopian future city, he checks them. He's probing for signs that something is important. If it's guarded against him, then it must be important. If it's guarded against forms of control like the one that he has, then it must be important. He'll catalog those objects. He's got nothing but time, and he is at the edge of human-level intelligence. So I'm just going to say that he memorizes these things, what they look like, where they're placed, all of that. He starts making a mental list of all of the things that he has. In his mind, he puts them on an infinitely long props table backstage at the theater where he first really grew into himself on that cusp between high school and college back when he was a mere man. He's going to keep a running list of every object he finds that is protected in any way, and he's going to really investigate how that protection is achieved. He's looking for something. He's, he's not really looking for a particular thing at this point. He's studying the kinds of protections that objects may have, because one of these days, he's going to find Horatio's suit, and he's going to outwit whatever protection is on it, and he's going to break that motherfucker, and then he'll be free of this horrible person who's blaming him for a crime he didn't commit. Meanwhile, he's considering alternative possibilities, such as escaping Future's realm, and throwing Powder Girl into a vat of acid. Hey, you know, the second one's always easier.